We're in a sermon series on the Gospel of Matthew. And so this morning, I want you to look at uh, Matthew 7, uh, verses 7 through 23. Uh, If you don't have your Bibles, look up on the screen. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Would you actually read this with me? Can you read this with me? So uh, that means use your voice. If you read fast, slow down. And uh, if you read slow, speed up. Okay? Let's read. Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Keep reading. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. This is the word of God for us this morning. Um, If you have been listening to sermons and worship, or if you've been following some of the messages on the podcast, on the website, you know that the last few weeks we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we're in the Gospel of Matthew, and Matthew's Gospel is exposing to us the life of Jesus. And so we're looking at various events in Jesus's life, but when we come to the Sermon on the Mount, we get to put the events of Jesus' life next to uh, Jesus' teachings. And so the Sermon on the Mount 
is, is not going into great detail about the life of Jesus, but we are getting to see and getting to hear and getting to study the teachings of Jesus. And one of the basic teachings that come up over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount is what it means to be a disciple, what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be someone whose life is in response to Jesus, what he does and what he says. And when Jesus explains discipleship, when Jesus explains to his followers in the Sermon on the Mount throughout chapter 5, 6, and 7, where we are today, Jesus puts forward this understanding that discipleship is what you know, but it is not just what you know. Discipleship is both what you know, what's in your head, and so it it is knowing, but discipleship is also doing. And so there's this movement throughout the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus talks about who the disciples are and how it is the what it is the disciples should know, balanced with what the disciples with their lives should do. And in this text this morning, uh, we get to sit with some of Jesus' teachings, some more of his teachings, and he sort of has four movements or four basic messages that he's preaching. He has four different messages, maybe even five, and and before I go through these four teachings and kind of plop down, move, plop down, move, go to another, I want to tell you what I'm not going to spend a lot of time with this morning, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time with verse 12 in chapter 7. And that's not because verse 12 isn't important, but I have two reasons why I don't want to spend a lot of time on the do unto others passage. Look at that again. Uh, uh, Verse 12 says, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. You have probably heard this called the golden rule. Some of you know this because it's a spiritual principle that's pretty popular. It's not unique to Christianity, although this version, this positive version where Jesus says do unto others is a refreshing or sort of revisionist way of looking at this teaching. Most religions have something like do not do to others what you don't want them to do to you. But the teaching itself is pretty standard. It's pretty basic. So it's it's somewhat of a popular teaching, but the reason I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about this, I'll make this connection and move on, is that Jesus has been talking about how his disciples should interact with others. So if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, and we've been doing this as a church, if you listen to what Jesus is saying, he is talking both about how his people should interact with God and how his people should interact with one another. So if you have to look vertically and horizontally, the Sermon on the Mount, all of the teachings that we've covered so far, talks both about how we engage with God and how we act toward one another. And so when we come to Matthew chapter 7, we have to connect it with Jesus' earlier words when, as it relates to relationships with other people. So Matthew chapter 6, and we've already covered this in the sermon series, but in Matthew chapter 6, verses 43 to 48, here is Jesus talking again, teaching and preaching again. He says, you have heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy." But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. 
If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect as your Father in heaven is. As your Father in heaven is perfect. Here in chapter 7, the do to others verse serves as a connection with these verses in chapter 6. The do unto others is a summary of what Jesus is talking quite a lot about in Matthew's gospel. But he doesn't stop in Matthew's gospel. Luke also explores some of this same language. And Luke gives us another version or a love your neighbor as yourself summary in Luke chapter 10 and verse 25. Those verses say one day an expert in the religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. And and what I want you to hear is uh, the reason why I'm not going to spend more time talking about doing unto others is because we've been hearing Jesus talk about doing unto others. And the second reason that I'll give you this morning is in the Gospels, we... We have language that talks about our character and our actions as people on the one hand, and we have language in the Gospels that talk about God, God's character, and God's actions. And so uh, we, when we're preaching well, when we're teaching well, are trying to balance both. We're trying to teach on both because there's a connection between your understanding of God's character and your understanding of your character. There's a connection between how you see God and how you see yourself, a connection between what God God does and what we do, but this morning I want to avoid sort of the hard, fast, very explicit applications about what you and I should do, and I want to talk a little bit about God and God's character and God's actions. I don't want you to check out because there are connections and applications that we get to make, but I want to talk less about what you should do and more about what God is doing for you, to us. So we're going to look at Matthew 7, um, and, and I'm going to take a couple of verses at a time and, talk, and kind of summarize what I think is being said in those verses and then talk a little bit about that summary. So the first passage, uh, or the first piece of the passage, are the verses 7 through 11. And this is language about prayer. Say the word prayer. Keep on asking, Jesus is speaking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Open. You parents, Jesus is talking to the parents at this point, pulling in an analogy. If your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? 
Now think that uh, those folks who are listening to Jesus know that there are stones in front of them. They're on the side of this mountain. There's stones on the floor. There's stones across the area. And the stones in their day look just like bread that has been baked, flat pieces. And so Jesus is pulling this language here so that they can grab what he means. Or if they ask for a fish, Jesus again, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? My summary of these words is here. God gives good gifts. Now, Jesus is talking about prayer in this first part of his, you know, four-part sermon, if you will. And he's encouraging us to pray. He's encouraging us to ask. He's saying that we should seek, we should knock. And not only should we seek, ask, and knock, but the language in the text is that we should keep on asking. We should keep on seeking. We should keep on knocking. And so Jesus is saying that there is something uh, important about praying and persistence. And there, there is something that uh, we get to do as God's children, we get to pray. And Jesus anchors prayer, not in our own energy, not in our own spiritual vitality, but he anchors prayer in, in God being a heavenly father who gives good gifts to those who ask him. This morning, I want you to think about something that you've been praying for. I want you to get something on your mind that you've been asking God to do. Maybe you've been praying over the same things, the same problems, the same issues, the same work situations, relationship issues. I want you to get one of those things on your mind. I want you to have it in your mind, and I want you to hear Jesus speaking about the thing that is on your mind. Hear me reading the words of Jesus as you think of that request, as you imagine that person or that problem or that issue. Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and you will, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. I was talking to uh, my, my barber this week and sitting in his chair is a combination of him preaching to me and uh, testifying and, you know, I'm not the type, but, you know, he kind of expects me because he knows I'm a, a pastor to say something. So it's kind of this weird mix of, you know, he's cutting my hair and he's stopping and, it's, you know, it's an hour-long experience. It takes 20 minutes to cut my hair, but the other 40 minutes is church, you know. It's like he calls it a prayer meeting. It's kind of odd, you know, and um, yeah, so I'm sitting here with him and he's got a past that would, would and does bring great glory to God when you look at him now, when you look at where he's been and what he's been through. Uh, and, so, and so we're talking and he's, he's talking about prayer. He's talking about um, 
something that he's struggling with, something he's dealing with, and we get to conversations about prayer. And, you know, I've been asking God for this, and I'm not really sure if I should just turn and walk away. I'm not sure if I should go back at it again. I think it's, you know, maybe this is something, maybe this is a decision that's already been made. Maybe I should quit. And he's talking about a particular relationship. And, and we, un- we ravel, meander kind of into this language about prayer. And And it is said in this conversation by him or me that you never really pray unless you trust God. And when you trust God and you pray, what you're saying to God is that the end, that the result, that the fruit, that the response, God already has it done. That is your trust. And if you don't trust that, if you don't believe that, you don't pray. You do something else, you know, but you don't pray because when you pray, you're building on an assumption that the God you talk to can be trusted. That the God who you are speaking to hears your prayers. And so, and so when Jesus is talking about asking and knocking and seeking, He's talking to us, and I think in this conversation with Jesus, in this teaching with Jesus, is a a nudge and a question, a nudge to us that God can be trusted, and a question, can you trust God? Because if God can be trusted and you can trust God, you will be able to do this asking, this praying, this seeking, this knocking. The language of, of prayer that Jesus teaches is critical to, to us because we don't always feel like praying and we don't always feel like knocking or seeking or talking to God. We don't always want to. So, so when Jesus comes to this teaching about prayer, he doesn't anchor it in our own feelings, in our own desires and motivations to pray. He anchors prayer in something much stronger, much deeper, and that is our Heavenly Father. He says that when we talk about praying and praying and asking and asking, that is done and that is continually done because God is your Father and that God your Father gives and that your Father gives good gifts. And so if, if there is something to believe in Jesus' language, it is the God who hears is the God who answers. And the God who answers is the God who is good. And the God who is good is our Heavenly Father. God hears. God answers. God is good. God is your Father. And your Father, church, gives good gifts. That, that is Jesus' sort of first message. That is my sort of summary, my sort of understanding of this God who despite us, who because of us, gives good gifts. The second, the second teaching is about following. Say the word following. Um, in verses 13 and 14, Jesus says, You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad. 
and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. God accepts frail followers. That's, um, uh, as, I, as I hear Jesus and this language of a wide road and a narrow road, uh, a, 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 a wide gate, a wide gate, a thin gate, a wide road, I'm thinking about this language and there's something about discipling being, uh, rather, rather following Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus, that makes us have to be constricted, compressed, frail, narrow, thin. Now let me tell you what I mean by that. Listen at Jesus. He's saying you can enter God's kingdom through the narrow gate. There's, there, there's one road that Jesus is talking about that, that is wide. It, it is kind of like the Dan Ryan Expressway after the reconfiguration, after all the congestion. They've spent a year or two rebuilding this road, and it's a wide road. There's less traffic. There's still traffic, but there's less traffic because the Dan Ryan now has an extra lane. It's wide. It's, it's, it's wide enough for a lot of cars, wide enough for a lot of commuters. There's one road with, with, with a wideness like that. And then there is a road that is much thinner, that is much more narrow. It's, it's like the road, it's like the street, like the, the block in front of your friend's house who lives in one of those neighborhoods that has those signs posted that if you don't have this permit on your car, you cannot park here. It's, it's the street that's out of most of our houses that's, you know, you know, you can get by, not quite two lanes, maybe two people, there's parking. It's much thinner, it's much more constricted. And Jesus says that there are, there are both roads. There are both options. And I want to tell you this morning that the Christian life is not always to be known or understood as a life that lacks. God does not call us to a life that is without, a life that is narrow, a life that is trimmed. But there are times when our life does feel like we, we are compressed. We are restricted. We are uh, in a box. And, and I, and I want to tell you that there's something right about that. There, there is life in walking after Jesus. And there is joy when walking after Jesus. But when we're living this Christian life, when we are living and following this Jesus, when we are compelled by the teachings of this Jesus, when we are pressing ourselves by God's grace to obey what Jesus has called for us to do, we will feel thin, we will feel narrow, we will feel constricted. Am I saying that there is no joy in the Christian life? No. Am I saying that there is no fun, that it is always predictable? No. Am I saying that there is no liveliness, no spontaneity, no power? No, I am not. But am I saying that the Christian life, the life after Jesus, is a life that has hardships? 
Am I saying that the life that, that follows Jesus is a life that feels like options are less? Am I saying that a life following Jesus, obeying the teachings of Jesus, listening to the gospel over and over is a life that is hard, that is difficult, that is complicated? Yes, yes, yes. And, and God here accepts followers like you and me. God, God accepts people, disciples, who get on this thin road and follows with their compressed lives. And if there is an encouragement, it is that people like you, people like me, get to be on this thin road. Now, we can get lost in uh, what I'll call the theological weeds and the theological woods of this passage. There are some pretty hefty things in these two verses, like God's kingdom or the even larger topic for some people of hell. And I don't want to go down those two roads this morning. I think there is a, there's a lot there. We could spend a lot of time talking about God's kingdom alone or talking about hell. But what I want to do is back up a little bit because I think, you know, we read scripture, we read it fast, we get to what we think is the point, and there are a lot of points to uh, these verses. Uh, there's a lot of tradition in exegeting these words. But, but what I want to do is, is read this verse and stop at Jesus' first four words. And uh, actually, the first three words. It is, you can enter. Oh, there's a lot about hell. There's a lot about God's kingdom. There is choice mentioned. There is a difficult road. There is a wide road. But I think one of the things that we should sit with, pray over, sit with, and hold is, is the truth that you and I get to enter. How, when, where, those are really good questions. But I think, I think we can restrain ourselves to hear God speaking to the church to say that the kingdom of God is accessible, that the kingdom of God is available to us. And maybe there's somebody here this morning who, who, you know, isn't really sure about Christ, isn't really sure what it means to follow him, isn't really sure there is, that, that there is a place for you in a church, in a church like this, in a church like the one you come from maybe. Can you hear scripture, can you hear the voice of God this morning saying to you that you can enter? Some of you are here and you've been around. You've been a part of our church for a little bit. And so you've heard enough about the kingdom. You've heard enough. Maybe you've come into the kingdom. Maybe you've gotten saved. Maybe you've given your life to Christ. And you're wondering, does these word, do these words have something to say to you? And I want to suggest that there is an invitation to you this morning, a second invitation maybe, a third invitation maybe, that there's something about the kingdom of God that is accessible even to you. Following the road that Christ puts before us will mean that coming on this road means that options become less. Options go away. There's a wideness to the one road. There's a narrowness to the other road. And sometimes following Jesus means giving things up. 
Sometimes following Jesus means letting things go. Sometimes following Jesus means in order to get down one street, you have to go a little slower than you usually drive. And so, is there a good reason why your life feels really slow? Is there a good reason why your spiritual growth doesn't look like it looked when you first came to Christ? Is there a good reason why you have kind of paused more than usual? Is there a good reason why you've lost some of the friendships that you thought you would always have? Is there a good reason why you don't say some of the same things you used to say? It might be because you are on a thin narrow road where God puts before you different options now than you once had. God accepts followers like you and I and the thing about us is that we are frail, that that our lives are broken and, and God has room on a thin road for people who are broken, for people like me, for people like you, who have stories, maybe like my Barbara, who sits when he's supposed to cut somebody's hair and goes to church, you know. God has has an invitation made to us. The third teaching is about fruit. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. My summary is that God inspects our fruit, that God examines our fruit. But let's look at this passage or listen to this passage. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. I love how Jesus is being so basic, even repeating, and I'm thinking like, you've said that already, Jesus, and he's just saying again and again, a good tree good fruit. A bad tree, bad fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. This part of the passage, for me at least, startles me because when Jesus starts talking about being where or beware or be warned or watch out, I'm wondering, what is this all about? You know, and, and Jesus is talking about false prophets. He is talking about people who look one way but whose lives deceive or whose lives don't meet what they say, and, and he's, he's talking about fruit, and fruit, in uh, one, words of one of my favorite preachers, fruit inspection. Um, and he's not, uh, he's not contradicting himself. In the earlier part of Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, do not judge, right? Remember that? Jesus 
is, is not saying the same thing in the earlier part of the chapter. Judgment is uh, developing an opinion or a conclusion about someone without information, without understanding, without knowledge. When Jesus is talking about fruit inspection, he is saying that you can identify people by their actions. So judgment is what you do when you know nothing. Fruit inspection is what you do when you have information, when you see the acts of a person. And Jesus says that a good tree produces good fruit, a bad tree, bad fruit. And I think that Jesus is giving us room and giving us an invitation uh, to do what we call in our church sometimes, do real community, to live life together, to be next to each other, to be in front of each other, and to ask each other hard questions about our fruit. To ask each other how we are living, to ask each other how well we are doing when it comes to having good fruit. There there is something in Jesus' words that permits you to say to me and permits me to say to you, what's your life really like? See, that's not being intrusive in Jesus' world. That's being a disciple. That's not being nosy in Jesus' teaching. That's doing what is expected. It's not being crass, it's not being inappropriate, it's not blaring your business or my business in the wrong context, but it is opening up our relationship so that you get to come to me and say, you know what, you said that and that was really nasty. You know, you said that and it was really inappropriate and let me tell you why. It's me having the, 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 ex, the assumption that you will come to me when you see me wrong and say, did you know, in other words, maybe not this, but in other words, that your fruit is rotten. When I was in college, I worked in farm stand at Jewel, and I learned more than I ever really want to know about produce and fruit and vegetables. And, and one of the things that I learned Um, about fruit is that there are some types of fruit that look appealing, um, that look shiny. They taught us how to rotate apples and how to put the oldest apples, you know, within reach. And so if you ever want to go to the produce store, go to the top, move, you know, what, move, move a couple of apples away, go, because those are the newest fruits. You kind of say, or go to the cart. You see the man with the cart, go in the cart, get your fruit, because the fruit that is most accessible is the fruit that's been on display the longest. And so, and so the thing I learned about fruit, uh, for some types of fruit, apples in particular, some fruit is supposed to be firm. Some fruit is supposed to be hard to the touch, but when it's rotten, you put your thumb into it and it presses in. And sometimes our lives and our fruit looks just like rotten fruit because when we get pressed, when we're growing, when we're following Jesus, when we're following, as one person says, close and hard, you press us and we don't push in. You press us and our skin is still tight. You press us with calamity and hardships and life problems and life in general and there's something that stays strong about us. So when you are a good tree or when you have good fruit, life And life stuff 
impresses you, yes, but doesn't break your skin. One other thing about fruit, and we'll move to kind of the next and last piece, the one other thing about fruit is that there are some fruits that look good, but until you taste it, you don't know that it is good. And Jesus is saying to us that some trees have good fruit, some trees have bad fruit, and he's already warned us to beware of false prophets because we will assume by what we see and hear that the fruit, which is fruit, is good to eat. But sometimes, sometimes fruit that looks good is fruit that is bad. Sometimes fruit that looks good is bad for your body. And so friends, beloved of God, can I ask you this morning to search your soul with this question of what kind of fruit are you producing? What kind of fruit is coming out of your life? What kind of fruit is coming from the relationships that you are in? Is there something good? Is there something nutritious? Or is there something called junk? God looks at us, inspects us, inspects our fruit. The last teaching is about obedience. And the verses 21 through 23, Matthew records Jesus talking again about obedience, really talking again about following. Um, uh, and, 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 And the message here is that God expects us to follow, that God gives us no options. Either you follow or you don't. Either you obey or you don't. There's, there's not a whole lot of gray. There's not, let me obey here and disobey there. God expects us to follow. And Jesus says, talking about following, that not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. Now, 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 appreciate Jesus in the earlier passages just then talking about being aware of false prophets, being aware of false prophets, spotting them, knowing that they are there. They are the people who say things that are not true. They are people who say things that are not true. Be aware of false prophets. And here Jesus is talking not about people who on judgment day come to say, I, 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 I preached, I proclaimed, I prophesied, but Jesus now is talking about people who didn't say they were actually doing. They were casting out demons in his name. They were performing many miracles in his name. And there are bookends here. On the one hand, people who verbally promote a a different gospel, a lie and untruth, on the one hand, and the other bookend is people who do things that look like good fruit. And there's a warning for both. There's a warning that you can say one thing and, and, and not mean with your life, or you can do one thing and, 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 and what you do is against what you say. Jesus here 
Jesus here is talking about obedience. He's talking about answering God with your life. You want a definition of obedience? It is answering God with your life. It is living toward God, living in response to God with your life. What do you do when you obey? You give God your life. You surrender your life to God. And Jesus is talking about obedience. It is not simply about you and me having a list of things to do and following those lists and getting a gold star from God, but obedience is much longer than that. Obedience is much more uh, complex than that. It is what Eugene Peterson calls a long obedience in the same direction. It is coming back to the same old thing, the same teaching that hasn't changed, the same thing that is common, the same scripture that says to follow Jesus. There are moments when following him, when obeying Jesus is joyous, and there are other moments when following Jesus is hard, and God expects obedience in both. Jesus is talking about judgment, and I think... I think the way that God prepares us for judgment when we live well is in our relationships. That, that, that God prepares us to hear what God has to say when we hear what each other has to say about our lives. And, and, and I'll tell you that I don't want the first time I get judged to be when I stand before God. I, I, I would like to be judged beforehand so I can, you know, try a little harder, so I, I can, you know, get a little bit better, so I can submit my life to God a bit more. And, and, and I really don't want to die and see God's face and God say to me, you know, you were off track. You were off course. You were off track. You were off course. Stay on the track you're already on. Stay on the course you're already on. Because if I'm off track, that means a life without God. And I'm not looking forward to that. So I want you to say to me in your own way, uh, Michael, your life looks like hell. Is that how you intend to live? That's the fundamental question. That's the question. The, the literal language is, you want a life of hell? I think C.S. Lewis talks about this. For people whose lives look like hell, for people whose lives and choices and decisions and obstinacy and stubbornness look like hell, at some point God says, if that is the life you want, that is the life you have. And Jesus reminds us that there is an invitation to the kingdom of God in these words. That, that there is something called the glory of God that stands in opposition to the wide road toward hell. I am three minutes from being done. Jesus says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter. The word Lord means master. It means um, Lord. It means the one who sees over. It means the one who exercises authority over everything. According to Jesus, not everyone who says that Jesus 
exercises authority over everything will enter into what Jesus exercises authority over. So, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. Lord, one who exercises authority over all things. We did this for you. Some people who say that Jesus is the master, the one who exercises authority over all things, will be shown the door because they don't know Jesus. And there is a tension in these words. There's a tension uh, between living and labels. There's a tension between saying something about God and having it meet what you live in response to God. Saying and doing the same thing. Saying Jesus is Lord, living as if Jesus is Lord. Saying that Jesus is master, living by his grace as if he is master. Church, I think that we can pray for this. I think, and we come back to ask and seek and knock, I think that we can add to our prayers that Jesus would exercise authority over us. I think that's what we should spend time praying. Asking God, keep asking, continuing to ask Jesus, to be the one who exercises authority over us, over our church, over our lives, over our decisions, over our choices. And maybe, maybe your language is a paraphrase of Jesus. Maybe your language is not Jesus' words verbatim. But in some way or another, inside your soul, I want you to, I, I invite you, I, I want you to pray these words to a God who gives good gifts, that this God would be your God, your, your Lord. Can you bow your heads with me, church? God, if, 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 if there is someone this morning who is like me, who needs to be reminded of your control, your lordship, your superiority over all things, would you convince the listener? God, you can be trusted. And sometimes that, that language just goes in one ear and out the other. But our prayer this morning is that in us, we would trust you more. Holy Spirit, examine our hearts today. Examine our lives. That we might obey you and live toward you. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, as you go this week, live your life like your life matters. Live your life like God is looking forward to you being good and bringing good fruit. Live your life as if God who looks
looks for good fruit from you gives you all you need to produce that good fruit. Church, go forth uh, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have a great week, everybody.